want to read some words from Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech that he did in 1963, five years before he died. And um, you can you can go online. You can, it's, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but I want to begin. He was on the steps of uh, the Lincoln Memorial, and it was a charge to, to change and a command for justice to go forward. But then he spoke to everyone about some, I believe, are timely truths as to how we are as the body of the living Jesus are to function in this, this coming year. So he began by saying five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to the millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still has not, is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly applied, crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself an exile in his own land. And so we come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. We sense we've come to our nation's capital, in a sense, to cash a check, which the architects of our republic wrote, magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. They were signing a promissory note. Um, when, they, when they said this note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed unalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It's obvious today that America has defaulted on this note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash the check, a check that will give us demand of the riches, freedom, and the security and justice. It goes on, and there's a lot that were to be said that 60 years ago. But then he speaks, he says, but there's something that I must say to my people and I don't take this now as something black people need to hear. I believe this is something believers need to hear more than ever. Who stand on the warm thresh, on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hate. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which 
has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers are evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied to, up with our destiny, and they have come to realize that the freedom is intrinsically bound in our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And then the power of words. I'm wanting you to hear words because words are going to become so important in this coming year. I am not mindful, I'm not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. And some of you have come from areas where your quest, quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of public brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith. Now listen to this. This is biblical, and it was powerful, and it was, again, it was a movement that did shift a lot of hearts and people. He said, continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. That's an incredible thought. Unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go to the slums and the ghettos on our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say today, my friends, there's much, much more. I encourage you to read it. It's uh, very effective. Now, why I wanted to read that, besides it's an, it is a day to honor, what was done, and I was a marked man in that whole, I'm 63, I'm only 11 years old, but 68, I well knew what was happening and became aware of assassination, then of uh, 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 Robert Kennedy's assassination. My parents were working on his campaign. My dad grew up in Nazi Germany, forced to join the army at the last, at like 16, 17, to fight the war at the very end then trained to be a doctor in Munich and then uh, immigrated back to the United States. My mom was born in China, Shanghai, and uh, watched her parents go through the internment camps, not watch them. She grew up in Canada, but they were in the internment camps, the Japanese internment camps. And so I had a very different upbringing than a lot. I'm, a, you know, I'm an immigrant, a child of immigrants, and there were a lot of things that always kept calling things to the heart issue. I remember one day back in, I think, 82, yes, 82, we're married, uh, and Ronald Reagan was having the campaign for presidency, and, oh, it was 80, 1980. So somewhere right in there, yeah, I think it would have been 80. I came home to my dad, and I said, look, Dad, this is a marvelous tool that they've just developed. He said, what's that? He said, well, look at this paper. It's a voter, voter's guide. It shows you how people voted on issues and quotes from where they were and what they say about issues. And it was putting, I think at the time, that was Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter, and it was contrasting. And he looked at me with his, you know, typical, you know, cynical German act. I uh, looked at it over, and he said, you know what? He said, if Hitler was on this, he would have won. He'd be right down the right side. And he said, the problem you have to remember, son, is mass movement leads to mass destruction. You cannot move a mass of people. People have to move heart to heart. 
person to person. They got to seek God and find their way. So, been humbled many times by his uh, life. Now, I'm saying all that because I believe we've entered a race, not just that tomorrow is the first caucus in Ohio, Iowa, and that begins to, where men begin to publicly say their dispositions on the primaries and people, but because we, the body, are in a place now that we've entered a race, and I want to talk to us about what happened. So let me now pick up on Thursday. Because we're in intercession, I woke up in the middle of the night thanking the Lord so much Thursday early morning for how he came. And how he just stood in our midst. Many had visions. and It was just a deep, been there before, but it was just so precious to be there again. And I was asking the Lord, was there anything we should have done? Is there anything you want us to do? Thank you for being here, but is there anything you wanted us to do? And just felt his, his sovereignty of I am here. That's what is to happen. Later that day, I heard a, um, something that concerned me about something that could concern all of us, that could affect all of us, one of those multitudes of things we can all hear every day. I don't know about you, but living in the information age, you can't get away from it. It's always finding its way at you to one way or the other. And I found the Lord as I went to pray, because the intercession is a part of bringing Christ into the situation. I felt the Lord. I simply said, your kingdom come, your will be done. The wickedness will not prevail. Righteousness will be yours to bring forth. You are in charge I declare you are Lord, and nothing can escape your decision and your actions. You are Lord. A faith rose about the kingdom come, the will be done, about not engaging in the conflict or, 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 or repeating what was being said, that if we don't do this, this will happen, or if we got, we got to do this so that will happen. And just, no. And I found myself just speaking that over everything. I mean, I'm a Lord's Prayer boy. That's how I learned to pray was the Lord's Prayer. So I'm, I'm a, I, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom. And I just found myself praying that all day over California, just envisioning the kingdom of God and the will of God being done. Just praying over the United States of America, over our election. Now, how be it when I say that, I don't really have the luxury of concluding what the outcome will be unless God tells me. And he hasn't told me. I don't think the outcome is as important to God as the means to which we will get there. And that will determine the next season of the kingdom in the church. And so I'm just thankful. I pray for nations. I lift up China like it's a person. And I'm greatly concerned. But I'm, again, very much encouraged by by allowing your kingdom come, your will be done. Ultimately, Revelations 15, we will declare at that time, the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our Lord. Today, they're his inheritance. And God said, ask of me and I'll give them. And so, I get up and I'm reading our Bible together. And I'm in Matthew 12. 12, um, 33. Let me find my notes so I can pull up wherever we are quickly for you, Barb. Um, 
Matthew 12, verse 33. And the whole chapter, every one of these chapters, because the Bible now is like not verses, it's chapters, and they're all just all in context. Jesus is speaking. He says four profound things. He says there's someone, and he's declaring himself, I am greater than the temple. I am greater than the Sabbath. I am greater than Jonah. And I am greater than Solomon. As he spoke to the religious, cruel rigidity of the that which was conflict coming to him. And so then he says this to everyone. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is not a choice. You cannot speak but what's in the fullness of our heart. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that, now this is where he arrested me and I began to pay real attention because I felt God saying, here is a strategy my church will be tested in continually this year, the race that you're in. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Every idle word literally means anything that's useless, useless words. Repeating the television, repeating what we're hearing, the Bible, if the Bible can come out of our heart in abundance, we will have we will be bringing justification into the earth because of, because of what's happening. So I paused at that and I thought, Lord, I really want to use my words for your kingdom to come. And then I remembered, oh, that's what I was doing yesterday. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's almost like too simple of an answer to speak to complicated circumstances. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done in our election this year, in Jesus' name. But there's a trust factor there. You don't get to tell God what his kingdom is and what his will is. Certainly he can give us insights, but, he's, but again, if you get insights shared amongst months people, mass information, mass conclusions, mass action, it's almost certain God will go a different direction. I mean, Israel continually had the prophets talking about a, a different course than God had already spoken to this one little prophet, Jeremiah. So I go on, and now, and now I go to Romans 12. That was our next reading. It's all the 12s. It's been an easy time to get started. Ones and twos and threes. Now we're 14. By the time Wednesday comes, we're going to go, oh, i got to go to the reader's guide because Corinthians starts and it messes up the sequence. But I went to Romans 12, and that... Barb, is just start at verse 1. <clears throat> Romans 12 will become for us, if we all embrace it, a means to hold ourselves in place in the spirit, in faith, and in the kingdom of God dynamics, irregardless of what others tell us to do and what we're supposed to, what fears try to tell us we need to do. He begins, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
Did you know mercy's coming? Mercies. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We've been called now to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's harder than a dead sacrifice, meaning that we have to call our body into submission and practice and unto the Lord. And it's to be, it's our reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world. The spirit of the world in the church is just as deadly as the spirit of the world in the world. And if we do not function from a higher level, that's why when I read Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, the famous one, I Have a Dream, I thought, wow, that was, he was using words. It's time to release vision and dreams of greatness. It's time to call us to greatness, higher than the, the conflict of, well, you're evil there, I fall, you know, just the, where we've been. So he said that don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's the metamorphosis, transfigured, transformed in, by the renewing of your mind. Now, the mind has to be renewed. If we do not renew the mind, we think like we thought. We think like the world. We think like what other people tell us. We think like other people's opinions. We think like we want to think. We think from our flesh. We think selfishly. He said, no, be renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And that's why the Bible, beloved, I, I know I'm always telling this, but if you could read this Bible with me this year, breathe, I mean, immerse yourself in Scripture. What's coming will take some of the best people out, and they'll disqualify themselves because they, they disagree with God's intention through what God's provision of his son because they, we look at the thing as it is, we see it for what we see it rather than seeing the unseen and seeing past what we see. It's, so I'm just listening to the Lord. Okay, so I'm going to not be conformed to this world. I've got to be transformed. For I say through the grace given to me, this is the Apostle Paul, to everyone who is among you, that means every one of us in this room, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think. So we're not to have a highest estimation of ourselves that we're wonderful, great, and powerful, and beautiful. But to think soberly that each of us, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in the body, but all members do not have the same function. So the body, having uh, we have being many, we being many, are one body. So all of us are one body in Christ, but we're individually members of one another. We're as connected to each other as we are in Christ. Even though we might decide to dis disengage from one another, that is as impossible as trying to disengage from the head. We are one. We are one body. And then he goes on to talk about how to give, use our gifts to help and secure and support one another. And the whole chapter, chapter 12, I promise you, it is probably as close to the Sermon on the Mount demanding, but now given to us by the Apostle Paul to, the, to us, the church, to walk in the spirit of Christ, to walk in the humility, to walk in the... Uh, he goes on, well, let's just... Having gifts differing according to the grace that was given us, 
use them. If prophesy, prophesy to the proportion of your faith. If ministry, use it in our ministering, in teaching, teaching, exhorting, exhorting, in, in giving with liberality, and lead with diligence, and show mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another, just on and on and on. So I'm paying attention. I'm, I'm now knowing that God's changing my message, that he's saying to me, you've started a race. If you'll go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 9, I've got two more verses after that, or one more place. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9.24, uh, Paul uses the imagery of a race. Because where I went, where I went from Hebrews 12, or Matt, Romans 12 was to Hebrews 12, which is where we're going to end. And I got the strategy. So first, words. My words are going to really matter. Watch my words. Any idle word, I will have to give an account in the day of judgment. I will be justified by what I say this year. Or I will be condemned by what I say. I am not a free agent. Satan gets a hold of the church's mouth to speak evil. He empowers evil in the earth through the church of Jesus Christ. Because we have all the authority now in Christ. So it's, it's okay, words. Now, don't be conformed. Be transformed. Renewing of the mind. Got to think a new thought. Don't. I have to go to where the source of truth is, the Bible. And I have to go to submit to what God has said about his son and how I am to act and how I'm to live and how I'm to care for one another. And so, Paul, I looked at this later because there's many about running, and that's how we're closing. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And when I heard the Lord say the race has begun, I knew we have a caucus tomorrow. But that's not the race he's set before us. Our race is how we will conduct ourselves before God in the pursuit of pleasing him, fulfilling his will in our lives, which is more demanding to me than requiring others to do that instead of me. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things, that they may obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. If you think Olympics, you think of any uh, sporting, you, if you are coming to the level of that high of competition, you, you watch over every part of your, your daily routine, every part of you, you bring under. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, and I fight not as one who beats the air. Paul had a very clear vision and a very intentional. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So I felt the sobriety of my journey this year. I felt that it was going to be very important that I would just submit to the Lord and, and what he has accomplished in fellowship with his spirit and in his truth and, and agree with him and that from that your kingdom come, your will be done, there would be much authority to be released of redemption and mercy and awakening and all kinds of opportunity. But so let me, let's go to Hebrews 12 and then we'll close. Hebrews 12, 
you know, we all know it, follows Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 lists all of the hall of faith, many who have done so much in the kingdom through faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Therefore, chapter 12 begins, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, two things important to see right here is that there is a race set before us. What that means is it's what's right in my view. For many, tomorrow it's the day to go to work. That's a race set before us. Our marriage, a race set before us. Our neighbors, a race set before us. It's the race, it's the, it's, it's, it's the, it's living out Christ in this life. It's the race set before me. It's not a vicarious race that I can live through someone else. It's the race set before me. And I need to take time because I'm going to run and get rid of the weights and the sins which so easily ensnare me and become conscious of that. It's not the time to be lazy, but it's time to be intentional. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. That's the race set before us is the, right there What that tomorrow, with going home today, how you're going to fulfill the rest of your day, how you're going to treat your, your family, how you're going to conduct yourself. Every idle word, every idle word, we will give an account. The word account is logos. The idle word is Logos, the idol. Logos, you will have to give in a logos because this whole dynamic that God wants is bringing into the earth is through his living church by the power of the Holy Spirit in submission to the loving word of God. And it won't happen outside. We don't, it's, he's very focused on what he's doing right now. So he says, uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He was the captain, the, be, the, the one who started, and he's the finisher of our faith. Endurance, in verse 1, is cheerful endurance. It's staying under the thing you're in, staying in the thing you're in, and with a smile. Without the smile, I don't know we get any credit. Because usually without a smile, we're complaining and murmuring and accusing. And we can get into a whole lot of trouble with God because we're not trusting. I don't, I, I am so being blessed in Job this year again. Every time I go through the Bible, I get a new insight into, from the place of my last insights. And what I've discovered, and I'm going to do this on the 11th, uh, the mercy of God, I will give an overview of Job because we'll be but two chapters away from the end when we hit there. If you read the first four chapters, and then you can just start up right where we are and stay with us, you, there will be such a reward. I, would have, I told Cammy, Job to me is like a, the love story of God. To redeem man from man out of, the, out, of, out of the wicked insight that religion drives us from and into the, the double portion, into his mercy and compassion. So... Basically, Satan says this. God trusts no man. 
no man can be pure. God judges all men and looks about on punishing for our iniquity. Therefore, these three friends are saying to Job continually, how do you think you could be righteous? How do you think you could have a position with God by the whole life you've been living? Why don't you have to be in a bad place of hidden sin for you to be going through what you're going through? And, and Job, and it's just incredible. And Job never sins with his mouth, per the Bible, per, per the Declaration, chapter 42. So there's just stuff happening that are dynamics because he's liberate, being delivered. So endurance with cheerfulness. Now, looking unto Jesus, look. Who, how are we going to run this race? Who are we going to follow? How, what's the example? Look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Now, beloved, I want to say to you, you are the most important thing in the world. And I am. And we are. And we're everything that God had gave his son for. But that's not Jesus' motivation on the earth. I'm sorry. He says it very clearly beginning in John 4. Five, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He shows it, demonstrates it in Gethsemane when he says, Father, I want to not drink this cup, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He's prophesied it, and we read it in Hebrews 10. It comes out of Psalms where he says, uh, uh, it is written in the scroll that's been given to me. My, my, uh, my delight is to do your will. So, the desire of Jesus, and he says it to us, I want you to live in my joy, in my love, in my commandments, so that you can be in my joy as I'm in my Father's joy. By keeping his commandments, you keep my commandments. I want your joy to be full. We are going to have a new definition for any who wouldn't like it of where, what joy is and where joy comes from. I believe that some of us are going to become so joy-filled because we have joined in Jesus' joy and because he's spoken words so that our joy might be full and that our, his joy might remain, that we are going to be, we are going to have a unique opportunity into whatever, whatever comes in the next 10 months that will not be the, the wrestling of men's wills and souls, but it will be releasing of kingdom dynamics. Because he's walking, he's, 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 he is the most joyful son, most persecuted man, most rejected man the earth ever knew. And yet he could dance and spin and he could uh, celebrate because he was having a joy set before him. So who for the joy set before him endured the cross? It is going to be a year of endurance requiring us to stay where we are, not jump ship, not get out of the place we're in, stay engaged, stay in our place, keep a cheerful heart, stay joy before us. Because if we can do that, then you can despise the shame. To despise shame means to think against it. No, I'm not going to let that set of circumstances, that narrative, that accusation frame who I am. I am what the Bible says I am in Christ. I am in Christ. Therefore, I submit to what God has accomplished in His Son, and I accept that, and I return to that, and I'm not known by any other means other than I am in Jesus Christ. And it just, at it, it first, it pushes back that 
argument, and soon it just becomes your praise. And it's going to, despising the shame, and it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, um, for consider him. Now, pay close attention to this. Who endured. Just there we are. Three, three verses, endurance in every one of them. Such hostility against himself by sinners. Sinners. Conflict. Speaking evil. Telling us this. Telling, Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We're going to live out of our, we're going to live above our souls this year, beloved. We're going to live from our spirit and people of heart believing. And, and uh, let, me, let me demonstrate it and I'll close it and I promise. First Peter chapter 3. And the whole chapter is, there's so much in it. <laughs> chapter 2, it won't be chapter 3, it'll be chapter 2. And it will be... Uh, I'll find it. I know this is like going, uh, you know, I see many coming into the salvation. I see mercy being demonstrated. I see lives being changed. But it's not going to be a reward to us. It's going to be a reward to the Son. And we are in that place of agreement and submission. And we've been taken out from the bait that we bit before. Verse 18. Let me just show you the race, how Jesus ran it. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then we'll close. This, uh, this, will, this, will, this will influence how you, what we say, what we think, and how we hold our place. And it will empower us because therein this Christ can come forward. Servants, this is Paul, Peter, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. Christians are called to live a life that no one else in this world is ever being asked to do. It's the most demanding life we'll ever live. It means you have to be good to your bosses that are good and to your bosses that are bad. You cannot justify poor performance because you have a bad boss. You can only do excellent performance because you have Christ, your boss. It's all into Jesus. All in, you cannot say, I'm going to be a lousy husband because my wife isn't helping me. No, you can only be an excellent husband and lay down your life as Christ did, for Christ's sake. You cannot say, my husband is a jerk, so I'm not submitting to him in any way. No, you instead have to say, I will do for him what he does not deserve because I will do for him for Jesus, for Jesus' sake. And this begins to have a compelling force to change the course of those around us, the race set before us. He said, uh, don't, not, for this is commendable. The word commendable now will be the word grace, caris. This is grace. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Remember, suffering has redemptive power. For what credit is it, or what grace is it, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But, but when you do good and suffer, and you take it patiently. This is commendable. This is grace. 
before God. They said, there's a way to release grace into the earth. There's a way to forgive, just as we can live forgiveness. For this, you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us. Having given, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. So here's, here's where the race gets like him. I follow in his footsteps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Did you know that's the reason he got a good grave after his burial? That's Isaiah 53. They made his death with the, with the wicked, but with the rich at his burial, because there was no violence nor deceit in his mouth. That mouth of ours. Oh, beloved, if you do go home today, think of one thing. Watch your mouth. Every argument, every curse word, every maligning, is being heard and accountable to God and is affecting the outcome of everything. So we just withdraw that. Hold my place. Hold my mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. So we may be reviled, but we can't get back and revile people. It's just not allowed. We, that's a part, not a part of our vocabulary. We lost that vocabulary when we became believers. When he suffered... He did not threaten. What, what did he do? He committed himself to him who judges righteously. This is the race that's set before us. A race of the heart. A race of renewal of our mind. Of being kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Not, oh, it's so, it's. It's powerful because it starts with just simply beginning to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. I submit to your kingdom coming and your will be done in at my work. I submit to your kingdom coming, your will being done in my home, in my family, in my children, in our great nation. I submit. I submit to your kingdom come, your will be done. I expect your kingdom to come, your will be done. I know that your will is full of mercy and you're good. I will not... Join with the judgment that everybody has to pay for everything because that's just not the way God is directing himself. He's coming through the sun. His whole relationship to the earth is through the sun. His whole relationship to me is in the sun. I don't have a relationship outside of the sun. I don't want one. So can we stand? I... I believe that each of our mouths, hearts, minds, and actions individually lived out in the race before us will determine God's kingdom to come and grace to be released in the earth today. I don't believe that we have to concern ourselves with matters more than am I Christ-like at this moment? Am I thinking the thoughts that God would have me think? Do I, am I speaking words of life? Am I, and then we can begin to step into a kingdom dynamic. I can go around forgive sin wherever I see it to a large degree, except to be the sin of death. And most sin isn't the sin of death. So all of a sudden, oh, the possibilities become unlimited. Heavenly Father, I pray for our beloved body, and I hope you can help me with what I jumbled thinking, speaking. 
there is a great day that we've entered into, a great race that we're now in. The race will not be decided or even initiated tomorrow in Iowa. It's being initiated and decided right now here in our hearts. That we would run the race set before us. We would look to you, Jesus. We would see you, Jesus. And we would follow the pattern of endurance with joy and cheerfulness, anticipating. We'd put against the shame, think against it, not speak against it. We would not threaten. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. We release our grip on things that we have claimed ours and a right to. We say, Lord, have your way, your will. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in the United States of America this year. Greater than man. Greater than man's plans. May greater than what we deserve. May it be done for us in Christ. May it be given to us in the mercies of our Lord Jesus. Oh, praise you, Jesus. May your kingdom come and your will be done in California. May it not rise to battles against us, against them, and hatred and bitterness and anger and hostility and words of cursing. We say, oh, Lord, you've paid for all of California to be saved. You've paid for the United States of America to be saved. We just say, Lord, release what you paid for. Be given what is yours, your reward. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Israel covenant nation that you gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all that it impacts. Your kingdom come, your will be done in the Middle East, in Yemen, and to Iran, and all the way, Saudi Arabia, and all throughout the land, in Gaza. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Europe. Oh, Shalom Ahabu. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come and will be done in our neighborhoods, in our cities. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will. Story, Jesus Christ. 
demanding word that releases, takes away from us some of our American rights and places us under the kingdom jurisdiction of Christ. But it is rich in its reward if we can but release what he's asking for us to lay down, pick up the cross, deny ourselves, and follow him in what's ahead. The possibilities have yet to be seen, so I ask for grace. Father, for every one of us here, everyone online, anyone who will listen later, ponder this. That these words that you've spoken that are in the scripture would become the words of Spirit speaking over each of our lives. Lord, we know in the Psalms that there was always that recognition, put a guard on my lips, hold my tongue, watch over what I'm saying. May we find that words chosen fitly spoken in Jesus glorious name Lord may we have a, a renewing of the mind like we haven't in, in, in recent years I mean just just tart washing our mind just washing it and renewing it till the washing of the water of the word that we think like heaven thinks that we think like Jesus thinks that we think like the Father sees things from the Son, from the Son's victory. And may we, whoa, may we run with endurance the race set before us. May we be cheerful. May we be kind. May we expect the mercies of God in great, great demonstration before us in every situation. Hallelujah. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.